I'm so glad you're here tonight. I thank God for what He's doing in our church. And I'm beginning a new series in preparing for transformational revival. I just got back from a seminar conference on transformational revival. And I want to share that with this church because I believe we're in a place to bring transformation to our community. This is more than just a revival that's taking place within the four church walls. This is transformational revival, which is going to impact the city and the people within the city, the economy, and people's hearts to win the lost and to bring the presence of God in this community. So I want to share that with you as we prepare over the next four weeks on understanding God's way to transformation. So we begin tonight, first of all, looking at the research that uh, has been done. George Otis and the Sentinel Group has reviewed out of 800, 800 city transformations and looking at 200 of those 800 from a historical perspective that in order to bring a transformational revival, there are particular principles and ideas gathered from all this research that are necessary to bring revival. And the first is that we need a paradigm shift in our thinking, in our response to God. We are too comfortable and too relaxed with the situation we're in. And that shift really talks about repentance, a change of mind. There are three necessary elements to bring this shift. The first is desperation, the second is urgency, and the third is the lifeline, that which we put our hope in through these two situations. Let me help illustrate that through a story. The story about an old preacher that uh, was passing on the mantle to a new young pastor. This young pastor wanted to know the preacher's success in having the presence of God in his ministry. And uh, he, he said, Pastor, I, I want your anointing. I want you to baptize me I, and share with me the secret to the presence of God in your ministry because I want it like you have it. And the, the old preacher said, all right, son. He said, come on out into the river. I'm going to baptize you. And I'm going to help you understand what it's going to take for you to have the presence of God in your ministry. He said, okay, pastor. So the old pastor, he, he took the man and he dunked him in the river and he held him down under the water. And as he was in the water, the young man's thinking, oh, come on, anointing of God. And the old man was holding him and keeping him there and holding him there and held him longer and kept him under the water to where a point where the young preacher's thinking, what, what the heck's going on here? And he began to gasp for air and he began to struggle and push against that pastor. But that old preacher held him under the water longer. And as he's pushing his head up, he's pushing, he can't breathe. Now he's beginning to shove that pastor and get getting to a place where he's just grasping for air and trying and trying to where he's beginning to feel faint and he's doing everything he can to get out of that water. And finally, the old preacher pulls him out of the water and the young man gasps for air and he says, what did you do that for? And the old preacher said, until you become desperate for what you long for and the urgency is greater than anything else you could think of. And you reach for the lifeline to rescue you. 
you won't have that presence and anointing of God. Folks, we need to get desperate. We need to get urgent in reaching out to God for our neighborhoods. We need to care that much. We are not desperate enough. We are not hungry enough for what we need. And the need is so great and we need to reach God. So the key here for this desperation is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly sorrow brings repentance. That's a change of heart and mind. And this godly sorrow is the desperation and the urgency to change our mind. He says that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. You see, the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow is this. Worldly sorrow is upset for the moment because they got caught or they lack. But godly sorrow is a desperation and an urgency to change the way we do things and the way we think. And once we have gotten there, there's no regret to leave the former way behind. We don't need to go back. We don't want to go back because godly sorrow led us to salvation. Another word for that sozo word is deliverance. Godly sorrow leads to repentance or a changed mind that leads us to the delivering hand of God to change us because we're so desperate and so urgently need the change. This is what we need to do. We need a revelation to see how desperate our condition is. Look at Isaiah 57 verse 10. God is speaking to Israel and He says this in Isaiah 57.10, You wearied yourself by such going about. In other words, you kept yourself so busy. You wouldn't say it's hopeless. You found renewal of your strength and so you did not faint. So that's a classic example of self-sufficiency. The concept of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and you getting the job done. And so many Christians live that way. They live out of their effort to live a Christian life. And how many of you know our effort to live a Christian life will always fail? That's why God gave us His Holy Spirit so that we would live in His power and in His strength. Paul says in Colossians that I labor with all His strength to do the will of God. And so this idea of you can do it, you're strong enough, you can handle life. God said you didn't look to me because you renewed your own strength, but God would have us look to Him. God would have us recognize we need Him more than ourselves. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says that youth shall faint and grow weary and young men shall fall from exhaustion but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up as with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The key to that is we who wait upon the Lord will renew our strength. That word renew there in the Hebrew means exchange. God doesn't want to renew your strength. He wants us to exchange our strength for His. That's what the cross is all about that all of our failings and our weakness and our abilities go to the cross in exchange for the power and the glory of God in our lives 
But the cross demands desperation and urgency and the lifeline is Christ on that cross. So if we want transformation, we've got to become desperate. Now desperation leads is necessary to have four things. First is hunger. The second is humility. The third is holiness. And the fourth is hopelessness. In other words, no other resource. So first of all, let's consider how hungry we are. You see, if your belly's full, you're not that hungry for more. And most of us are satisfied with our knowledge of God, with how much we do serve God, and how much God's involved in our lives. We keep Him at bay. We are not hungry enough. How is it that we could be satisfied with the condition our culture is in? This world has gone crazy. We're in an upside-down situation where what was right is now wrong and what is wrong is now right. And we're not hungry enough to care for the people who are so desperate because that lifestyle cannot be sustainable. And yet the church is satisfied with what we have from God to let those around us continue to go to hell. We are simply not hungry enough for God. Number two, uh, uh, going through this, uh, this uh, seminar just about a week and a half ago, by the end of the seminar and hearing the stirring of this message and the wooing of God's Spirit, my, the only thing I could say to God is, I am so wretched that I realized how much pride I had in me. All I could say to God was, just gut me. Just gut me. There is nothing good within me, as Paul cried out, that is in my flesh. And so there has to be a spirit of humility. We live in a time where we're all clamoring to get position, title, recognition. We're in an age where it's rock star Christianity and, and, and we're no different than the world's system of ranking. The three B's are the most important things to American churches. Buildings, budgets, and butts. Ask a pastor, rate a pastor, rate a church, how many people you got, how big's your building, and what's your budget. This is success, but humility is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, it's holiness. No man will see God, the writer of Hebrews says, without holiness. We're to humble ourselves before God's mighty hand, and in due season, He will lift us up. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall what? Be filled, but you got to be hungry. And last of all, hopelessness. What does that mean, hopelessness? I'm not talking about uh, giving up on the sense that there's no value to life. It's a hopelessness in this, that there is no other help but God. The government can't bail me out. My job can't bail me out. Even my spouse isn't the answer to my needs. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And this is the desperation we've got to get back to. That video clip kept saying, it's time. Do you understand what time it is? And if we're not awake, brothers and sisters, to the hour that we're in, is anybody getting this? Are you looking at the situation of our culture? Have we gone insane? And it is outrageous. And the church continues to move along with its programs. And we got to realize our programs are hopeless without Christ Jesus. 
people talk to me, you know, Pastor, you need to do this to get more people in. And Pastor, you need to do this to get more people in. And maybe you need this kind of a thing on stage. And maybe you need that kind of thing at the front door. And maybe you need this kind of promotion in the ads in the paper. And you know what hasn't changed? The human need of every soul being touched by a holy God. If we could bring the presence of God here, we don't need a gimmick. We don't need anything else. We just need the presence of God. Because when you're in the presence of God, you are satisfied to your core. Because what you win them with is what you bring win them to. So if I win you with a gimmick, i got to have another gimmick. But if I can win you to Jesus, you will be satisfied forever. So we have got to get desperate. The second aspect of this is urgency urgency. It's got to happen now. We're in trouble. We're in trouble. This nation is just a few years away from collapsing. And what we've understood is, is going to be dismissed. Already the church is dismissed. But we're not here to get recognition from the world. But the church thinks that we should. But what we're trying to do is get recognition from God. We need God. We don't need the world to esteem us. We need God to esteem us. Amen? And so there's an urgent need right now in the church or we're going to lose it. He says this, until conviction of need, there will be no desire for change. See, we're not urgent enough to change because we don't think we need to. We're blessed. We're blessed. And if you will listen to all the teaching, all the teaching on radio and TV and anywhere else, It's trying to convince everybody how blessed you are. And I'm wondering if we would recognize how blessed we are if we would realize how foul and sinful we've fallen and God still loves us. There's got to be an urgency to our action. We are so often well-trained but untransformed. There's many of us that can quote Bible verses but we can't live them. Many of us can speak in tongues, but we won't intercede. There's many of us who have the gifts of the Spirit, but are negligent to use them. And though we understand the the doctrines and so forth, we've not been transformed. And, And this is not an easy task. It's not a matter of time served. It's a matter of hunger. Have you ever seen someone on fire for Jesus, they get saved? They get filled with the Spirit, man. They get going. They're, they're on fire. They start winning souls. They start doing this. And their trajectory is like that. You're going like, man, I've been here 10 years. What's up with that? Hunger. Hunger. It's just a matter of hunger. Most problems are often perceived as challenges when actually they are opportunities for transformation. See, we have a problem. We don't recognize the urgency. We need to take a good look at ourselves. This is not an easy job. Because most of us, first of all, in our flesh, we are so broken and, 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 and so dysfunctional that we do need a constant reminder that we're valued, that we're worth something. But our value and worth comes from God. But if you can get past that and begin to really look into the face of God with an unveiled face, behold the glory, you'll become very aware of your need for Jesus. And the, and, and the more we draw nearer to the fire of God's holiness and the flame of who He is, 
we will all fall on our face and recognize, God, change me. God, heal me. God, just do a work in my soul. I need this desperately. I need to be reoriented to the kingdom of God and no longer oriented to the culture of this world. You know, you look at a beautiful pond, it's, it's, it's great, it's, it's luscious, it's green, it's got lilies and everything. But you know, pond water looks different under a microscope. It's full of germs, it's full of disease. We have got to become aware of the level of the sinfulness and the sickness in us. Let me put it to you this way, as the people of God... We are actually okay with people going to hell. We're okay with it. Oh, no, Pastor, not me. No, no, come on. I'll put it on me, okay? I'm okay with it. How can I say that? Because I pass by people every day. And, I, and my family and different people, uh, cousins and aunts and uncles and other folks. Oh, I tried to witness once or twice. They just don't want to hear it. But what about my intercession? I won't beat you up. I'll just put me out there before God. And I recognize I pray too little. And I pray too weak. And my understanding of God is too limited. And so I might look okay on the outside, but on the inside it's pond scum. And I need revival in me. I need it. I'm not, I'm not trying to bring some kind of self-beating and this and that. No, I'm bringing a cleansing. Because God comes to a contrite and broken spirit. He comes to that. He recognizes those who say, there's no other way but you, God. There's no other way. And God, I need you. Levels of awareness. Let's take a look at some of these levels of awareness. Complacency is a state of mind that's got to be broken. It's got to be shattered. That's what repentance is, a change of of mind. And I've got to ask you, are you urgent in your crying out for help to God? Is there an urgency that we would allow another day for a homeless person to die? Is, it, uh, is there an urgency that within our city right here that another child goes hungry, that another person gets beaten, and that another, uh, all sorts of activities of sin that the church is not doing anything about that's laying a lot on us. I'm not laying it on us. Jesus did. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I believe that the depth of that means immerse them in my presence. Bring me to them that they may be one. And so we've got to hear the heart of God do you think God doesn't think there's an urgency for this state we're in? We need to see things as God sees them. But when I heard this quote, I couldn't get past it. We don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. I'll say it again. Because it took a little while to sink into me. We don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. And so I look at the world through the lens of Tim. 
I look at the world through the lens of my doctrine and my theology. I look at the world according to how my feelings go today. But I don't see reality of what is before me. Only God can do that for me. I need corrective lenses. Anybody else? Does anybody here need blind eyes open to see as Jesus sees? To have the heart that Jesus has? We live in our own paradigms and personal illusions. I'm amazed at myself. I really am. Like I said, I'll put myself out there. But I I mean, I'm amazed at myself when I walk in a room what my first concerns are. Do you know what they are? They're about me. They're about my self-image. They're about how I fit in this room and where to navigate the room. They're about what do I think about that person and that person. How will I judge and discern the room? All centered on me. And I'm getting awakened to this, and it is disturbing. (laughs) It's really disturbing to become awakened to the fact that I am the image of the idol I worship. And I need to be broken in Jesus. Not to be destroyed, but to be found in Him, by Him, and loved by Him. We live by what affects us personally and our prior experiences, not by the reality of God's will. And there's no greater illustration than the church at Laodicea. You know it. We've gone over it. We continue to go over it because we must. It's the illustration that is real. It took place in time and in history when Jesus the high priest, resurrected Lord, overseeing his church, wrote an address to seven churches, the number of perfection, the complete body of Christ. And in one of the churches in a town called Laodicea, he said, I know your works and they are neither hot nor cold. In other words, he was tasting them. And he said they were not cold and refreshing like a cup of cold water. They were not hot and soothing like a cup of hot tea. He said it's lukewarm. It's the same temperature as the culture. It became room temperature. He tasted it and spat it out. You don't look like me. You don't smell like me. You don't taste like me. You taste like the world. And he said this outrageous thing. You think that you are rich and beautiful, well-clothed, and seeing all things, but you are wretched, naked, poor, and blind. Now what's interesting is when you look at the history of that city, those things he identifies is what made that church wealthy. If you were to look at the church of Laodicea, you would be in awe by Western standards. It has one of the biggest buildings. They found the ruins. It has one of the biggest buildings that the church was prominent in its culture. It had a huge budget because Laodicea was a rich city because they got their wealth from uh, medicine, ISAV. And because they had wealth, their garments and their clothing were really fine and really nice. And so when you went to that church, baby, you dressed up. You looked good. You looked fly. It was all right. And you had fine. And, and they had enough money to run all the programs you needed. And they thought church is humming. And Jesus said, I can't get in. I I can't find the door to your heart. Church, I love you. Now when he says I'm spitting you out of his mouth, he's not saying I'm casting you out of salvation because the very next statement he said is I chastise or I discipline those whom I 
love. I love you. But you don't understand your condition. It is a grave condition. And you don't understand the urgency to change. And if you don't change, your lampstand will be removed. Your effectiveness will be removed. Do you know that we would be better off if some folks got removed from their witnessing than shaming the name of Jesus? How many times have we seen this over and over in in the public eye? Another preacher, another preacher. Could you just quit? (laughs) Instead of holding on to your ministry and dragging it into sin, could you just step aside, please? And so these are vital areas, necessities, that we would be desperate and understand the urgency because there's an answer for it. It's what is the third element that's absolutely necessary, intervention. It is the faithful hand of God. We're going to be looking at these revivals through the the next month, and we're going to be seeing film clips of what God has done supernaturally to transform cultures and cities that were desperate enough and understood the urgency for God to move in, and He did, and He will, and He does. We have to get hopeless over our situation to know there's no other hope but Jesus. Jesus is our intervention. Jesus is our deliverer. And it is the cross that heals our land and heals our souls. Amen? Amen. Praise God. He's faithful to do that. Listen to Isaiah 40. Remember the verse in Isaiah where God said that they were so self-sufficient that they had worked in their own strength. But look at what he says. He says, even youths shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. They'll mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. The key to the scripture is found in the Hebrew word for renew. Because it doesn't mean that God's going to renew your strength. The Hebrew word literally means to exchange. And so when we grow weary in our ability, in our efforts, in our programs, in our desires, if we would wait upon the Lord, He will exchange our strength for His. Amen? And then we will run higher, jump farther, fly like eagles over every situation and problem because it's the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's the only remedy for our economy, for our culture, and for our society. The remedy is the Holy Spirit of God. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen? We go on and God says in Isaiah 62, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord shall take no rest for yourselves. See, now how can we not take any rest? Because we'll be doing it exchanging our strength for His. I'll be praying all night. You'll be praying all night because we'll be under the unction of the Holy Spirit. We'll be moving and praying and interceding led by the Holy Spirit. We'll be strengthened by Him. He said that I'm going to put you on the wall and those who call on the Lord shall have no rest for yourselves nor give Him any rest until He establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. 
What if he will then, if you won't give him any rest, what if he will then come and heal your family and heal your household? What if you won't give him any rest and pray in the Spirit and he will come and heal this land and heal these cities and heal this nation? I don't want to maintain a church building. I want to be a fire for Jesus. I want to be on fire for Him. And I want to give Him no rest. You know what? He's okay with that because He's ever living to make intercession. That just means you're staying up with Jesus. You're just staying awake by Jesus. Can I tell you, that's when you hear the secrets of His heart. When you last with Him, when you go further than what you can, you'll begin hearing Him. It must, it must be personal. It must be personal before it can become corporate. So this beginning message is about three things. Desperation, urgency, and knowing that God is the answer. His intervention. No one else's. These three things we've got to seek. And we have to seek it personally before we can keep it corporate and out into the community. And so I want to close tonight in a time of prayer and a time of praying and desperation for you to begin to grab hold to the depth of your soul and the depth of the Spirit and really let God examine you. Ask yourself, am I urgent enough? Am I desperate enough? Is the need greater than what I'm hungry for? Yes, it is. Then I need to change my appetite. And so it must become personal. I close with this story. Robert Gypsy Smith, a British evangelist born in 1860, had been involved in a number of revivals. He was asked by a group of people how to get a revival to come to their city. And he said this, I want you to go home, lock yourself in your room, kneel down in the middle of the floor, and with a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself. Then, on your knees, pray fervently and brokenly that God would start a revival within that circle. And so we're closing tonight in a time of prayer. And this is our prayer. This is between you and Jesus. This is a time of desperation and urgency. God help us. But this has got to be more than a sermon. It's got to be more than a teaching. It's got to be more than a half hour. It's got to be our hearts.